team is also in your bulletin there is a message outline and a diagram on the back would you pull that out even if you are not a note taker uh, that's fine I usually am not when I am listening to somebody preach so don't feel like you have to do that those are just there if it's if you're like my wife they're there to keep you awake okay? <laughs> literally the, the, okay not to keep her to, to keep her out of trouble okay because she would be texting somebody or back in the, I'm, I'm not kidding and and uh, she would be writing notes or whatever and and she literally told me I've started providing sermon notes probably 25 years ago. And she told me, honey, if you don't want me to get in trouble while you're preaching, I've got to have something to do. <laughs> That's why you have those notes, okay? So, <laughs> uh, dear. Uh, first of all, I want to thank uh, Pastor Laura. She's not here today, uh, Laura and Al. Uh, but uh, Laura preached for, for me two weeks ago and heard nothing but wonderful comments. What a gifted lady she is. And, uh, and then last week, wasn't it great to have the Fr McFredericks with us? Wow. I, uh, I only met them maybe once or twice and relatively informally. And after the morning service, Connie and I were able to take them out to dinner to lunch and uh, had a great time getting to know them a lot better. What a sharp couple. Isn't it great to have that quality of young couple uh, representing us around the world and sharing the good news of Jesus uh, to a very, very dark culture. Uh, if you talk about biblical ignorance, uh, certainly there and uh, in uh, the Czech Republic. So continue to pray for them. This morning, I've been looking forward to getting back into this, what we're calling holiness for ordinary people. Everyday people, just like you and me. God's best for all people, not just for the spiritual professionals or the spiritually elite or those who are too old to have fun anymore. No, this holiness thing is God's absolute best for all of us. It's like an automobile, and you may not get this analogy, but if you're a guy, you probably will. It's like an automobile when it's all beautifully polished and clean and shiny. It's got the right gas in it and the right, the right uh, tires on it, and, and it's cruising down the road and just feeling, wow. This is what I was manufactured for. <laughs> now, the last time my truck did that was last Monday because my fishing boat was on the back of it. My, my truck loves to pull my fishing boat. I can tell. It talks to me, okay? I can see it smile. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm really. Uh, in fact, my truck, if, if we go longer than a month without going fishing, without towing that boat, my truck lets me know. I can hear it whining when I do. John, what's wrong with you? Come on now, we need to go fishing. And it, 
that's what our, our, our vehicles are like if you are a car guy or gal. Uh, but this is what we're talking about. This is the human sweet spot. Holiness is it, it's what we long for, but we can't produce on our own. Only God can make it happen in us. And, and he desperately wants to do just that. We have been setting the, the table, the groundwork, for considering how does this holiness happen in us? How do we become holy? How do we live in this human sweet spot that God created us for? Well, that's what today and really the next uh, three Sundays will be all about. Um, I'm going to try actually and kind of paint a picture for you. If you are more of a visual learner, hope this, hopefully this will uh, help you to understand and get into this a little bit better. And that's what the diagram on the back of your notes is for. There are some blanks to fill in there if you are a blank filler in her. Uh, but more than anything, I, I wanted to just give you a pictorial idea of what's going on in what I call the Christian life cycle. So as we walk through this, I want you to ask yourself two questions. And we'll ask it as, as I wrap up the, the message each time. We'll ask these two questions. What is God's part in all of this? What can only God do in this? And secondly, what is my part? What can only I do in this? Okay, projected for you is this uh, Christian life cycle diagram. Leave the whole thing up there if you would. Okay, uh, it proceeds from left to right. It starts with physical birth. We'll be talking about that here in a moment. And it proceeds on through when we come into relationship with God. And that's what we'll be dealing with this morning is, is this section here. And then uh, it starts looking like a roller coaster. And uh, ultimately it, uh, it ends in heaven. Now, the, the line itself represents my relationship with God. What does it look like? What's actually happening in my relationship with him? And, and that's what uh, we're going to be following that process as we walk through this together. It begins with physical birth. It culminates in heaven. Let's talk about, let's start at the beginning. It's always a good place to start. Physical birth. Where does my relationship with God start? Now, before you jump to conclusions, let's, let's, let's understand what's going on here. Obviously, all of us have to have a beginning. Uh, human life begins at conception, as we understand it. Amen. Scripture, it begins at conception. Uh, King David, in Psalm 139, uh, gives a, a powerful description of what God was doing when, in David's words, he knit us together in our mother's womb. Now, of course, he's speaking metaphorically there. But that metaphoric picture is trying to describe to us how intimately God is involved from the moment of conception on in every human life. Knit us together. It's not simply a, a biological 
or evolutionary growth. No. This is something very intentionally uh, overseen, participated in, even enabled by God himself. Jeremiah chapter 1. As the prophet Jeremiah was beginning his ministry, God, uh, if, if he would have been face to face with Jeremiah, uh, this is what he said uh, in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. He said, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. Wow. Now, this implies at least two realities about every human that has ever walked the planet. First of all, we are intimately known. Intimately known. And there is a plan that God has set in motion. When, when he talks to Jeremiah, I knew you before uh, I formed you. And uh, I set you apart for something very specific. Now, he was speaking uh, very personally to Jeremiah at that point. But I believe his statement to Jeremiah is true for every one of us. Every one of us. Um, a couple of meetings ago in our transition team, I generally try and start with encouragement from the Word. And we looked at this verse. And I truly believe, this is not just trying to motivate somehow, but I truly believe, and I shared with every person there, that they were born, God, when he, when they were born, God knew and he had planned that they would be on this transition team, involved in this search for a pastor for Christ Center in 2020. And he, everything that we have experienced up to this point in our life, God is using to prepare us for what he wants to accomplish through us. That is for every one of us. So this physical birth thing is not just a physical thing. It's not just a biological cell division. No, uh, it's something that God is intimately involved with. Now, next on your diagram, this right here, prevenient grace. How many of you have ever heard that term, prevenient grace? Very few of you. This is a theological term, and uh, there are some pastors that would not uh, even say it to you because they're afraid they'd lose you immediately. <clears throat> I have a higher opinion of you than this, okay? I think you really want to know, and I want you want to know some of the specifics. Uh, prevenient grace. Prevenient is uh, a Latin term. It's a very old word. Pre means before. Venient uh, in Latin means coming. So this is coming before grace. Prevenient grace. What it's talking about. What is grace? God's unmerited favor. Okay. The thing, something that God does for us that we do not deserve, we can't deserve. He does it in spite of what we deserve. Okay? That is God's grace. Prevenient grace is the way God shows us that kind of grace even before we know Him. Because notice on your, uh, on your diagram, this is not flat, but it should be. Okay? We are flatlined. We do not have a relationship with God yet. We are His children only 
by creation at this point. Do you understand that? It's true. When somebody uh, very conveniently and almost flippantly says, oh, we're all God's children. That's true. We are. Because God is intimately involved from conception with every human that's ever walked the planet. We are His children by creation. But we don't have a relationship with Him yet. And we don't ever have to have a relationship with Him. Okay? That is something that, uh, that God is very active in and we know what He wants. But He leaves it up to us. Provenient grace is all about this. Provenient grace is God wooing me into that relationship with himself before I am even aware of him or aware that I might have a need for him. Uh, you know the story of Jonah, I'm sure, right? The prophet Jonah. What's the most famous thing about the book of Jonah? Swallowed by a whale. Swallowed by a great fish, the Bible says. <clears throat> by the way, I believe that this literally happened. This isn't just a tale. This is, this is reality. But we are confused because Jonah is really not, the primary focus of Jonah is really not him being swallowed by a great fish or even Jonah. It's almost really misnamed. What was the reason that God called Jonah and what did he call Jonah to do? Do you remember? To Nineveh, the largest city in the world at that time, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. God told Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, you're out of your stinking mind. I will not do that. And so we got on a boat going the opposite direction. God intervened. We know the story. And uh, ultimately, Jonah was vomited up on the beach. And, uh, uh, you know, for most of us, God needs to use a, not a two before, but a four by four to get our attention, doesn't it? Really needs to knock us upside the head to get our attention. Well, that's what the three days in the belly of the great fish was for Jonah. Got his attention, and he realized, okay, you're serious about this, aren't you, God? You see, the, the central message of the book of Jonah is how much God cared about this largest city in the world at that time, Nineveh, and how desperately he wanted them to hear that he loved them and that they needed to turn away from their rebellion. This is provenient grace in action. It's God winding all kinds of circumstances together for Nineveh so that they could hear how much God loved them. It's really not about Jonah or the whale or the fish. It's about God's love for Nineveh. This is prevenient grace. Well, what I challenge you to do, if you have a relationship with God today, as we, as we step through here, we'll talk about 
that moment in time when that relationship with God begins. That's the next thing we'll talk about. But if you have come to that point in your life and your relationship with God has begun, you have begun to experience His personal presence. Think about all of the times before you were in that relationship with Him that He protected you and you didn't even know it. Now we'll never know all of them. We'll never know how many car accidents we were saved from that could have killed us. Some of the things we know. Rolf knows that God had a plan for him and, and healed him of a catastrophic, generally quadriplegic-causing accident, skiing accident. That's obvious. I mean, how else can you explain that but God? But I challenge you to think back in your own life. How many times did God prevent? Another word uh, that a lot of theologians use for prevenient grace is preventing grace. How many times did God prevent you from dying before you had an opportunity to say yes to him? In fact, I could, I could with confidence say this to every one of us this morning. If you don't have a relationship with God today, there is only one reason that you're still alive. One reason. God is giving you an opportunity to live long enough to begin to understand who He is, how much He loves you, and how desperately He wants a relationship with you. It's the only reason you're alive. This is provenient grace. Okay. We don't have a relationship with him. Our relationship with him is flatlined. But what God, what the Holy Spirit is always trying to do, the, the uh, diagram again, please, what the relationship with God is always trying to do during this time is he's trying to bring us to a crisis point in our relationship with him. Technically, this is called initial sanctification. We generally just call it salvation, being saved. This is when, this is the point when our personal relationship with Jesus begins. Um, going back to that prevenient grace and God protecting me and providing for me and wooing me. Uh, John 5, 44, uh, Jesus said, unless the Father draws person, they cannot come to me. They'll never know me unless the Father begins to open their eyes. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 said, uh, God demonstrates his love to us in that while we were still sinners, one version translates that, while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. Wow. You talk about God setting the table and not getting up, giving up on us. Constantly trying to bring us to this moment in time in our lives when we choose to respond positively to His offer of relationship. Initial sanctification, salvation. It's the beginning of my relationship with God. 
There are three things that happen virtually instantaneously according to scripture. The instant we say yes to God's offer of forgiveness, of, of cleansing, and of relationship with himself. Number one is that we talked about this just a few weeks ago, Romans uh, 3.22. We are justified. That this is where God looks at us as the judge in the courtroom, and he says, I know what you've done, but I am now declaring you to be just as if you had never sinned. Justified. That's what he does for us at that moment of saying yes to him. Another thing that happens, uh, John, uh, Jesus, was uh, uh, interacting with one of the Jewish leaders. Uh, he was a Pharisee. He was a Jewish lawyer, basically. And he had made it his goal in life, as all Pharisees did, to never break one of God's rules or of the rules that man had compiled to add to those laws that God had given. And he hadn't broken those. But he comes to Jesus and he says, I, I know there's something different about what you're talking about. It's just, just something different. How... How in the world can I understand and get into this kind of relationship with God, the kingdom of God that you're describing, Jesus? And Jesus' words to him, the ultimate good guy, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born again. Now, it always, uh, <laughs> it always is kind of comical to me because John, uh, or Nicodemus, excuse me, was obviously a very intelligent man very learned man. And when Jesus metaphorically says, you've got to be born again, Nicodemus' first statement was, dude, what are you talking about? I can't get back in my mother's womb and be born again. I'm sure Jesus wanted to slap him. Come on, dude, come on, come on. You know better than that. You know better than that. What he's talking about is a beginning so new that it can only be described as being born again. A transport formation so fundamental that it can only happen by God doing something in you that has never been done before. That's regeneration, being born again. And then, of course, at that same moment, According to Paul in, in Romans chapter 8, we are adopted into God's family. At this point, we become his children by faith. No longer just by creation, but by faith. At this point and this point alone. Up until this point, we are not his children. We don't have a relationship with him. But, boom. Okay, let's... Let's ask those two questions, okay? What is God's part in this? What can only God do? And what is my part? What can only I do in this whole thing? Well, uh, from what we have uh, just looked at, God's part, first of all, only He can create. He <coughs> creates me with a purpose. That is His job. I, I really can't come up with that on my own. 
Many people spend their entire lives trying to discover what they were, what they were born for. Only God knows that. And a person can only ultimately discover the purpose for their lives in a relationship with the one who created them. That's God's part. Uh, God does everything in his power to initiate a relationship with us, that prevenient grace that's drawing us, that's courting us, that's wooing us into a relationship with himself, that's making us aware, I am broken and I can't fix myself. That's his prevenient grace. That's the Holy Spirit working on us. Only God can do this. No matter how intelligent you and I are, we cannot completely own our own brokenness because we're too self-centered. It's almost impossible for us to admit we're that as broken as we are. Only God's Holy Spirit can help us with that. That's His part. He, he protects us. You remember the name James Dobson, I'm sure. Uh, I'm so thankful for the wisdom that God shared with all of us through this man of God. Uh, I happened to overhear uh, one time, or maybe I read it, but it happened in an, an interview with him. And uh, it was either a father or mother of uh, a young, uh, young person, late teens, early 20s, and uh, they had just totally, their, their, their son had just totally rejected anything to do with God anything to do with the parents and the parents are in agony I mean they know what a relationship with God can do in you and they desperately want that for their son but their son is totally rejecting it and so they lay all of this out to Doc, Dr. Dobson in this Q&A time and said well, what can we do and, and Dobson's answer was, keep them alive. Just keep them alive. Sometimes that's the most important thing you can do. You keep them alive until they grow up enough and are honest enough with themselves to recognize they desperately need God. Uh, hmm. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us in prevening grace. He keeps us alive. Wow. Amen. Uh, he, he provides for us. He, he, he protects us. He gives us understanding of our own brokenness and, and His goodness. That's God's part. What's my part? Well, my part is really very simple. It's not that easy, but it's very simple. I must choose to either accept or reject his offer of reconciliation. That's my part. Only I can do that. My parents can't do that for me. My church can't do that for me. My parents can't do it for me. My church can't do it. Only I can do that. And so I have got to come to a point in my life because God has been opening my eyes ultimate reality 
into my need for God himself. And in response to that reality, I say, yes, I recognize my need. Biblically, we admit we're sinners. We've rejected him. We've done it our own way. We ask him to forgive. And oh my goodness, there's nothing that he wants to do more than that. He forgives and He reconciles us with Himself. That's our our part. Only I can do that. Let's go back to God's part. Upon my yes, He gives me a new relationship with Himself. It's interesting. I always, uh, when I'm sharing uh, in a memorial service or funeral, as I have done hundreds of times, at some point, especially if the person who just passed is, was a believer, I share what Jesus said in uh, John chapter uh, 5, verse 24. He said, who, He who believes in me has passed from death to life. What's he saying? He's saying, Before you come into a relationship with Him, you're the walking dead. Have you ever wondered why, I'll be kind and not assume that some of you enjoy this, but many of your grandkids are absolutely enamored, consumed by zombies. Are you aware of that, by the way? You're not aware of that? Oh my goodness, what hole you've been living in. It is incredible how the walking dead are incredibly stimulating, attractive, fascinating to uh, this, especially our youngest generation. I, I, I haven't thought through it all, but I've asked the question, why are they? I think part of it is, is because this generation is coming to an awareness of a reality of their own brokenness. This young gen- youngest generation, the, we call them the millennials, they're, they're, they're coming to a realization that they're broken and they can't fix themselves. Their world is broken and somehow they feel responsible for it, but their frustration and part of their anger, by the way, this is the angriest generation ever raised on the planet. You're aware of that, aren't you? Part of the reason for that anger is they're becoming painfully aware of their own limitations. And they feel like the walking dead. Jesus said, before you become a Christian, before you are saved, experience salvation, initial sanctification, all of it, all saying one thing. Before that, you're the walking dead. But after that, then you begin to experience life. Oh my grief. How cool is that? You think we have good news for our youngest generation? You better believe we do. And for all of those who are our generation around us. Wow. He begins to change me from the inside out. He declares me to be his child. Two times, scripturally, when God 
spoke in an audible voice in the ministry of Jesus. When God the Father spoke in an audible voice and other people heard it. One of them was at Jesus' baptism. Jesus goes under the water, being baptized by his cousin John the Baptist, comes up out of the water. What happens? Do you remember? Holy Spirit, like a dove, comes and settles on Jesus, empowering him for the next three years that are ahead of him. And then what else happens? God talks, and everybody hears him. And he says, This is my beloved son. Second time, close to the end of Jesus' ministry, and he takes Peter, James, and John, the inner three, up on this mountain, and he is transfigured before them. They see him. All of a sudden, he turns so white they can't hardly even look at him. And then this cloud settles down on him. That's called scripturally the Shekinah glory of God, settles down on them. They recognize. Uh, who was it? It was Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And out of that cloud, God speaks. Do you remember? And what did he say? This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When you and I accept the gift that he is offering to us of reconciliation, of life, he says this is my beloved daughter or this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased did you ever hear your earthly dad say that some of you didn't and you're scarred to this day because you didn't guess what your heavenly dad says this is my beloved daughter or son. <laughs> but that only happens when we say yes to his offer of forgiveness. Let's pray. For many of us here this morning, this is the 10,987th time we've heard this message.
I recognize I've been trying to do it all on my own. And I've broken myself and my world. Will you forgive me? Will you begin to transform me from the inside out? I want to hear you say, you are my beloved child. And whom I am well pleased. I couldn't teach this this morning without giving any who have never made that decision, that choice, the opportunity to do just that, to make that choice. I can't make you do it. Your parents may have tried. They couldn't make you do it. Nobody can make you do it. But the Holy Spirit has been drawing you, maybe for decades, is today the day? The Apostle Paul said, today is the day of salvation. Now, right now. All heads are bowed. Okay, nobody's looking around. This isn't for you. It's not even for me. It's between you and God. But I would love to be able to pray with you. Very specifically. Is there anybody here who is ready to say yes to God's offer of reconciliation? Just slip up your hand. Nobody else is looking around. Okay. Anybody else? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Anybody else? Oh. Holy Spirit, thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for pursuing us. I think it was John Wesley who described you, Holy Spirit, as the hound of heaven. You're just after us. You want us so badly. And for these two who this morning are, are ready to say yes to you, I know you will hear their very personal prayer as they confess their sin to you and ask you to forgive them and make them your child. And as they do that, Father, my prayer is that they will hear you say, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Thank you for loving us so much. Oh, we love you. In just a moment, we're going to